Okay, everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. It's been a very interesting week to get on that with me. We have our two normal Bolt from the Blue podcast members. The first one we have is Colin Savage. Colin, long time no here. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not so bad. Just um, uh, very, Just very... Those- Pesky students out the way. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the ones who pay your wages. The ones who pay my wages and then <laughs> the, 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 the ones that send me a lot of documents beforehand trying to get me to increase their grade. It's been an absolute nightmare. But um, anyway, it's it's all over now. But um, we've also got with us your friend and mine, Mr. Ray Bubbles from the City Fan TV YouTube channel. How are you doing, Ray? Uh, I'm I'm very well. I've just got over my jet lag from my trip to Oxford. That uh, was a, a long, long day. Uh, but as I, as I say every time, City win, it's always worth it. Absolutely. And uh, we've been doing quite well, guys, ever since the loss to Manchester United that we did refer to briefly on the previous pod. But we've had uh, three away wins, of course. 4-1 against Zagreb, 3-0 against Arsenal. And of course, the latest one, which is one of what we're going to talk about quite a lot on this pod, is the EFL Cup quarterfinal. That's uh, Oxford 1, Manchester City 3. But before we get into all of that, guys, the news has been dominated for the last week and a half, two weeks. Will he or won't he? Mikel Arteta. And now it's a done deal. Colin, reflections on the loss of Mikel Arteta, please. All the indications are he's been a really good coach for us. He's helped a lot of the players individually. And I think we've seen benefits from him. But uh, it's a big step up from being a coach where you're working with individual players and you're the friend of the players. And I think it's a big step up to be the number one. You've got to have a different approach to your players. You've got to be more strategic in your outlook. You know, you can't necessarily always do that one-to-one coaching that he seems to be quite good at because you've got a vast number of other things on your plate. And of course, it's Arsenal. So say from a personal point of view, I hope he does really well and we have him back as our manager one day. But because it's Arsenal, I hope the whole thing crashes and burns. <laughs> And they get relegated. <laughs> I put this on Twitter, actually, just reminding me. I'm reading a great book called The Club, which is about the rise of the Premier League as a global force in uh, kind of world sport. And it talks about City and the takeover. And it said one of our strategies after the takeover was not just to strengthen our team, but to weaken our the teams we saw as standing in our way. If you look at the table at that point in time, 2008-9 season, Arsenal were fourth, Villa and Everton were fifth and sixth. So, of course, we bought a load of players from Arsenal. We bought, obviously, Colo Torre. We bought Adebayor. We bought Nasri. Nasri. We bought... Clichy. Clichy okay. and, and Bakary Sanya. And that seemed to have an effect. We did the same with Everton and Villa, if you think about it. We bought Milner and Barry. We bought Julian Lescott. We bought Jack Rodwell. But I'm not necessarily sure <laughs> that that weakened Everton to a, a significant degree. So, you know, we did all those things. That was phase one. And phase two is put our people in place to actually crush them once and for all. So perhaps it's a bit cruel to poor Mikel Arteta, but this is perhaps phase two, which I've codenamed Operation Relegation. (laughs) I know someone that won't be stuck for an opinion about this, but I want to just focus the question a little bit, um, Ray. City's coaching squad, the whole team, seems to be a little bit of a training ground because they come, they do well with us, and off they go. We lost Dominic Torrent, of course, Patrick Vieira, Arteta's the latest. And there was even talk that uh, really got City fans wound up that Arteta was planning to take Rodolfo Borrell with him as well. What do you think about all of this? Uh, well, I don't think he will take uh, Rodolfo. I think uh, apparently, uh, I was reading somewhere that he's going to stay. I-, I think City would have liked and Pep probably would have liked Arteta to stay till the end of the season. But opportunities like this might not come around for a long time. You know, if Arteta didn't take this now, you know, the next manager might come in. Uh, they might have gone for Poch and kept him for five years and then opportunity never arises and he'd have to wait till Pep leaves City. Hopefully that's in many years' time before he gets his opportunities to be the number one. So I think it's something, even though I think it's it's a tough old ask, Arsenal, a really tough old ask now. Uh, there's lots of toxicity, uh, I can't even say the word. Toxicity. toxicity. About Arsenal at the moment with the players arguing with the fans and making fun of the previous manager. You've got people who want to leave if they don't get anywhere. Uh, this talk of uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette leaving at the end of the season. This talk about Ozil going to Fenerbahce. That's probably a good thing for them. But if, if Aubameyang leaves, who's going to score the goals? Certainly not going to be Nicola Pepe. 
And they've got an, a, an interesting kid in Martin, uh, Martinelli, who played uh, probably was one of their better players. Him and Leno were against us uh, last weekend. But they've got terrible defence. I mean, I, I don't think there's any hope for David Luiz, Socrates and Mustafi. I mean, if, if Arteta can stop them leaking goals, then he'll, he'll be a, the new messiah because I just can't see how he can plug those holes in, the, in their defence. It's, it's a terrible defence. So he's got problems there. How much money uh, is Kroenke going to throw at it? It said he spoke to Stan Kroenke himself and Josh, his son, who's more involved than Stan. You'd assume there's going to be some money available. But he's got problems, as I said, with the players, with the fans. You know, Some of the fans have already come out and they don't want him. I saw one, I can't repeat the picture I saw, but there's got, there was one fan who basically had a, said, well, as soon as Arteta tweets something, then we should all tweet this. And it's like, please leave uh, in a less polite way. And he just fill his timeline with that. I and mean, it's so toxic. You've got other fans who are saying he wasn't their first choice, but now he's at the club, they'll back him. He's never done anything and he's never even been a manager for they don't even give him a chance. So it's such a difficult environment. I, I can see it ending badly. Uh, I really can. But I hope for it, uh, Arteta, it, it doesn't. I hope he does well enough. And the funny thing is, people say he, he'll go there, spend two or three years, do well and come back to City when Pep goes. I'll ask the question, if Arteta does well at Arsenal, then why would he come back to City? And I'll leave you to think about that. We will think about it, probably after the pod, because we've got such a busy list of things to talk about. I was quite interesting you mentioned um, Socrates, actually, Ray, because I believe the way that is, because he's Greek, the way that is pronounced is Socrates. And uh, I love the yeah. way Arsenal, Arsenal fans have been calling him Socrates, and that now it seems they've gone back to calling him Socrates because they want him out. Um, but <laughs> a, 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 anyway, listen. He just sh- spent a lot of time thinking about what he should be doing <laughs> rather than doing it. I, knew, I understand the confusion. Someone's going to have to philosophize with us. I tell you what. <laughs> uh, Colin Savage, uh, we got the uh, Champions League draw. We got Real Madrid. And I, I, it's so interesting watching the City Faithful talk about the pros of this and then going back to the cons of this and uh, putting forward interesting arguments about why this is a good thing and uh, and why why it, it isn't. Where do you stand on, on this issue? Oh, well, I'm in there. It's a good thing, Camp, I, I guess. It was an unusual uh, group stage because there were quite a few teams that finished second that you really wouldn't want to get. I think virtually all of them, you looked at them and you could say, hmm, I'm not sure I fancy them. Talking to, I was at a City Matters meeting last night we were talking about talking about the Champions League and the group stage. When we had the group stage draw, the City guys were saying that they were kind of in two minds. On the one hand, they're thinking, oh yeah, I mean, this, this should be a relatively easy group so we'll get through. But on the other hand, how are we going to sell the tickets, you know, for three um, they were all challenging opponents, but none of them were top rank opponents. Although it looks like next season we will have a, a pot one, we won't be in pot one. But these are the games you want in the Champions League. You know, get the boring group stage games out of the way and, you know, dead rubber games like the one we had in Zagreb. You want, as much as you like the Champions League, that, that's the reason why you do like the Champions League, you know, to watch teams like Real Madrid. I mean, I think back to the Champions League and the, the three games are, that stand out in my mind are. Um, obviously, that 3-1 against Barcelona, which was a group stage game, for obvious reasons that stands out because it was such a brilliant performance. Then there's a PSG quarterfinal, of course, the Real Madrid semifinal, although we didn't do ourselves justice in that game whatsoever. But we, we stopped them scoring at our place and we probably should have done better at the Bernabeu. But these are the games you want. These are the games you're going to have if you, if you want to win the Champions League. You're not, you know, you're not going to get through the Champions League by playing the Atalantas. And, and the Shakhtar Donetsk's of this world, you're going to get, you're going to meet the Real Madrid's, the Bayern Munich's, the Juventus's, uh, you know, Liverpool and Spurs we played in the last couple of seasons. These are the sorts of games you want. You know, the stadium will be full, the atmosphere will be brilliant. It'll, it's the second leg as well this time that, that we're at home. So unless we get a complete mauling in Madrid, there'll be everything to play for. So yeah, these are the games you want. And Madrid, maybe not quite the force they would have been two, three, four years ago. I think it's a good draw for us. I think uh, Pep's talked about the mentality of us and other clubs who have got a long and rich history of uh, in this competition, especially of winning. The only reason I don't, I think we haven't won it in the last three years while Pep's been here has been a mental issue. Uh, it's been mentality. We know we've had the team that's plenty good enough to win it, but mentally we've had some sort of. Uh, can I call it deficiency? Maybe that's a bit harsh, but we've, we've had something holding us back. 
Now, looking at Real Madrid, now, they're not the force they were. Yes, they can, you know, especially under uh, Zinedine Zidane, they can step it up in the, in, in the Champions League. And we've seen, see, obviously, they won three on the bounce. But they're doing okay-ish in the league. But I think we, we are probably a much better team than Real Madrid now. And I think if we can beat them at this early stage, it will help our mentality. And it will show us that we can. We can compete with these uh, illustrious names and this, you know, the clubs with the history of, of winning whatever they've won. Was it 12 Champions Leagues, European Cups? And we can, you know, we deserve to be there. And, and maybe this will help us get over that mental block that we have uh, in the in the knockout stages. So I think it's a good draw. And I think it's it's a game that we can definitely win. We'll have, I'm sure we'll touch up upon it. We'll at least have Emeric Laporte back. Uh, he looks like he's coming back in sometime in January. Looks like Leroy Sane will be fit in January, whether he's uh, goes to Bayern Munich or stays with us. But, you know, it looks like we'll have pretty much everybody fit and uh, raring to go uh, against uh, Real Madrid. So I'm, I'm really excited about that draw. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Colin Savage, I, I read something. I, I'm not sure if it was by Pep in one of his uh, books that he did with Marty Perro now, but there was the concept of the, the heavy shirt. And, and it was explained that for teams like Real Madrid and Barcelona, the shirt weighs lightly on them because they're so used to being in that situation, they don't suffer from low self-esteem and they don't panic in these kinds of situations. And it was argued that the next step that City have to take is to play with the concept of a light shirt rather than a heavy shirt when they get into big games on the biggest stage. Would you agree that City perhaps haven't jumped that hurdle yet? I would agree, yeah. I think that's a very uh, cogent summing up of the situation because they're going... Teams like Real Madrid, teams like Barcelona, going into games. It's like the athlete thing, isn't it? Where the positive mental attitude, where you picture yourself winning a race. We're not going into games or the big games in Europe uh, with that attitude. And I think that perfectly sums up the situation. The irony is we probably won't get that until we win the Champions League. Because, mm-hmm. as you say, with, with Real Madrid, it's the, perhaps the call it entitlement is, is wrong, but they're going into games having won the tournament so many times, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. At their peak, they're going into games expecting to win and having that mental attitude. And now, we saw it with Barcelona at Liverpool last season. They actually went into that game assuming they were going to, well, they weren't going to lose by as many as they did. And I think that that affected them in that situation. We should be going into that tie full of confidence. But what we've seen is that Pep seems to overthink these games. If he said to us, just go out and play your normal game, we'd probably do a lot better than him trying perhaps that little bit too hard to adapt to the particular circumstances of what he sees happening in that game. Because every time we've come to a big game, you know, we we look at Liverpool two seasons ago, we look at Spurs. Monaco. Monaco. I'm trying to find you, you were French. And we've gone into there either ticket Liverpool and Spurs overthinking the game. Monaco, I think we were very casual, particularly in the way leg. And I think Pep's worries must transmit themselves to the players. Because if Pep is doing something very different to, to what he would do for a game against, you know, Aston Villa or Sheffield United or someone like that, surely his tensions must transmit themselves to the players. Obviously, it's easy for me to sit here and say, but if Pep was to just treat the Real Madrid game as a game against, you know, Aston Villa or Watford or Bournemouth or someone, then perhaps we might go into it with a more positive attitude. Yeah, this thing about positive visualisation. Guys, you always know whether we've had a great bolt from the blue pod or not, because rumour has it that Ray spends 10 or 20 minutes before every pod positively visualising a fantastic outcome. And that when he does that, you know, we generally tend to have a good pod. So a bit of a parallel there, guys. Well, well, well listen, Ray, don't overthink things too much. Don't be pep. As we come to our next item on the agenda, Oxford 1, Manchester City 3. So this was the goal by Cancelo on 22, equalised by Matty Taylor after the break, and then a brace from Sterling to win us the game. But there have been, let's say, differences of opinion on how good City were in this game. What did you think of it? I thought City were average. Honestly, I, I didn't see any fantastic performances, with the exception of the two young centre-backs, 17-year-old Taylor Howard Bellis and 18-year-old Eric Garcia. And for me, those were the two guys that sparkled. And I don't think it's wrong to say we, we were littered with silly errors, mistakes. Oxford United, a decent league team, 
had 18 shots. That's our goal. 18. You think, well, why were they having so many shots? What was the reason for that? And there was some of this. There's definitely some lackadaisical attitude. Some of the passes ran, the blind passes ran the corner. It's one of those, if they're successful, they look brilliant. And when they're not successful, they look daft. Um, so it was, I think it was a mixed performance. I mean, look at Raheem Sterling, who was given the man of the match before he handed it off to Taylor Howard Bellis. Uh, and I think that was apt because Taylor Howard Bellis actually had to do something. Raheem, I, I don't think, had a great game. He scored two goals. He was in the right place at the right time, but I don't think he had a great game. Uh, people were in and out, and uh, as I said, Paul Passin, Brava made some good saves, but he, he was guilty of some of his long uh, passes out wide were just going out of play. Uh, guilty mistakes. What matters is the result. The performance would have been nice to have a great performance, but what mattered was the result. Uh, we got the result, and you know you, you you can forget about the performance apart from uh, Tell Howard Bellis and Eric Garcia. Here was the lineup, guys. So we had Claudio Bravo, Cancelo, Harwood Bellis, Eric Garcia, Sinchenko. Welcome return for him. Phil Foden, Rodri, who was subbed uh, ten minutes after the um, after halftime. Uh, and replaced by Gundogan, we had Bernardo Silva, Maris Sterling, who scored the brace. As Ray mentioned, he was replaced by uh, Adrian Bernabe on 76th minute. And finally, Angelino, and he was subbed for Gabby J on 62 minutes. What were your thoughts about this particular game, Colin? I saw Zinchenko and Angelino in. And that should assume that Angelino will be playing left back and we get to see Zinchenko in midfield. So it was quite strange to see Zinchenko lining up at fullback and Angelino in midfield, which, which I thought was a little bit strange. I say it would have been nice to see what Zinchenko could do as an attacking midfield player because that's his natural position. So I didn't understand that at all. One of those strange pet decisions he occasionally makes. Both Ray and I were at Arsenal, the Emirates on Sunday, and uh, saw probably the most woeful Arsenal team we've seen for years. Oxford game was a much harder game than Arsenal did, albeit we had a slightly weaker team. But you get worried when you see someone like Bernardo, uh, who's who's not had a great season so far. He gives his all, he works hard, but he's really not doing what he was doing for us last season. And when he can't even seem to do it against Oxford, and that's not to disrespect Oxford, but you know, a player of his quality, him and him and Sterling and Mares. They're the players you look to to give the lead, and none of them had a particularly good game. As Ray said, we were very average. I think we were, we were much better in the first half than we were in the second half. Obviously, we get we gave that goal away very early in the second half, which you could certainly argue uh, should have been called back because the ball was moving when he took the free kick. I think with Harwood Bellis got turned a little bit too easily, showed his inexperience. We did hit back, and and um, I mean the two goals were I almost identical, and almost identical to the two goals that uh, Sterling and De Bruyne got at Arsenal on on Sunday, where you know we worked the ball down the left, great ball into the centre for uh, I mean Kevin De Bruyne's goal, first goal at Arsenal. Certainly, you couldn't call it a tap-in. It was a brilliantly executed shot. But the other three were all straightforward conversions. I think we had more left-wingers than the Labour Party (laughs) on Wednesday night, to be honest. Or the Democrats, Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We we seemed to be very heavily loaded down the left. So, yeah, it was a strange performance. Most of the players, apart from, as Ray said, the two central defenders, maybe you can... Give Foden a bit of a you know a, a pass. He wasn't terrible, but it was a the second half was a very poor performance. We got the goals, but then Oxford were, were definitely in the ascendancy after the second goal. They had a lot of shots. Where it shows with the weaker teams is in finishing generally. And if they'd had better finishing, that game could easily have ended three all and gone to penalties. And I'm not sure on the night, given the way we were playing, we'd have won on won on that basis. So I think we were quite lucky to get away with that. But they say it takes us through to the semi-final, which is what we wanted. And who do we get in the semi-final, Ray? We've got fans from other clubs having a pop at City for getting all these rubbish, weak teams, and you know, like Burton and like Rotherham and, and, and Newport and Swansea, and getting our way to the finals of cup, uh, cup competitions. And once again, we've got another poor team in Manchester United. Once again, the Liverpool fans are having a pop at us because we get we always get the easy draws. It was funny, actually. Did you see the draw? Uh, Dennis Wise was picking the away team and uh, he picked up what looked like two balls, had a look and dropped one. Did anyone else see that? I no. did not well, see that. Oh, conspiracy. Back. <laughs> you can, you'll find it on YouTube or somewhere, but go back and watch that draw. You can see what he does. 
So, but anyway, I don't mind because, I mean, all right, yeah, they beat us a couple of weeks back, uh, certainly. We weren't too hot on that day, but certainly over two legs, I'd fancy our chances. And, you know, I'd fancy our chances of not having a repeat of the league game as well. I'd rather have had Villa, but... It's just so funny what you said about City being um, so overstocked on the left-hand side. It just conjured up a, a mental image of Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> all lining up for City. And actually, you're absolutely uh, right, Colin, in this particular game. Oxford did what City have so often uh, done. It was just failure to convert chances. But um, it was one of those games um, away at Oxford. You want to just get it out of the way, get it over with. But um, it's just something that has contributed to a certain narrative um, about the way City have been playing Ray over this last while back, despite the, the, the wins since the United game, which has caused uh, Sam Lee on the 93-20 pod to basically rule City out of much of a possibility of us getting a, a result against Leicester. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but um, it's good to get this out of the way. We've got Manchester United in the next round, or obviously in the semi-final at Ray, but it brought the, uh, the United fans out on Twitter making all kinds of jokes about, um, for the first time in ages, they're not worried about this one. They're just going to sit back and take us on the counter-attack. What do you think about this hubris? Look, I was I was in a stream tonight and I was looking through City's results and this season in the league, only once have we won three games on the bounce in the league. Only once. It's been win one, lose one. Win a couple, draw, lose, whatever. It, it, it's not been, obviously, a, a record-breaking uh, uh, season for us. But it's that win one, lose one. So And, and usually when we, we won, we've scored a lot of goals. So, you know... For, for this game, I'm, I'm just hoping that obviously that we overall we win. Fingers crossed. Get a uh, couple of goals ahead uh, at their place. You know we can rest a, a, a few players. As it's, look, it's not going to be an easy game. They've got a very good record uh, against us uh, at the Etihad. I think they've won three out of the last five uh, at our place. So it's certainly not a fortress uh, for them. Uh, or if it is a fortress for most teams, they've got a key to the door and. Uh, it, it, hopefully, you know, over two legs, we will we'll we'll do what matter, what we can, and we'll win the game. Uh, I think uh, most City fans are, are with Colin uh, in agreement that it's better to play United over two legs than one. Yes, I, I think that's um, that's a fair point. And uh, uh, Colin, just al- although we've we've won three games on the trot in all competitions since losing to United, you mentioned the game against Arsenal. Some lovely goals there. And uh, before that, of course, there was a 4-1 win against Zagreb. Of course, some nice goals in there again. But the media are, are painting a pretty portrait of, uh, of City at the moment. They're talking about... Uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting because there's another team who are running away with the league who, who seem to be performing quite poorly in, in, in a lot of games, but getting the wins anyway. But they're painting a pretty portrait of City and sort of discontent and, and trouble in the ranks. And I think this all sort of was summarised in that piece by Oliver Holt, was it? It was, about yeah. Pep, Pep being fractious, which sent a lot of people off to the dictionary to, to figure out what that meant. But you read that piece and I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely sure... What do you think about this this particular narrative that's uh, predominating at the moment? There seems to be a narrative about Pep leaving City, doesn't there? That, let, let's be honest. And um, the only Holt story is Pep looked like a man who needs a break. To sum it up, to save anyone actually having to read it, I'll sum it up for you. Pep looked like, looked increasingly tired. He took a sab- sabbatical after he finished at uh, Bayern Munich. For he uh, after he finished at Barcelona. Before he went to to Bayern. He's come straight to us from Bayern. He looks like a man who needs a rest. But we've seen this narrative, you know, this this daft thing about Pep's contract. Has Pep got a clause in his contract that uh, allows him to be released early? And um, one of the 93-20 crew made the point on Twitter, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant. There'll be lots of clauses in his contract. There there might be performance clauses. You know, so if we win the Champions League, then, um, you know, we, we might offer him a break clause. But it's completely irrelevant because even if he doesn't have a break clause in, if he wants to go, he will go. You know, the, the worst thing we can do is restrict him from taking another job for maybe nine months. And the other question, is there any team team of any substance which is looking out for a manager at the moment? You can't really think of one. Maybe Pep wouldn't go to Real Madrid. That, that That's pretty certain. Uh, and, and they're probably the most obvious candidate. Would he go back to Barcelona? I doubt it. You don't go back particularly. So, again, th- there is this narrative. Pep is fed up, fed up of everything uh, and wants to leave City. The interesting thing is someone 
told me uh, a while ago about a city employee attending one of uh, Mancini, maybe's press conferences, may have been Pellegrini's, I don't know. Uh, he was wandering around afterwards, the press conference, and he came across a group of journalists who were sitting together talking about the press conference and basically saying, how are we going to agree to spin this one? So you could easily imagine a group of journalists getting together and saying, you know, lads, how about we spin the story about Pep's tired and he wants to leave? People think I'm being paranoid when I say this, but I've had this firsthand from a city employee. This is what journalists do. And I've had it from a journalist that this is what journalists do. So I don't think it's too fanciful to speculate that this is the narrative, the agreed narrative between some of the journalists at the moment, particularly on the red top papers, that Pep is to basically try and force Pep out. Absolutely. And um, what will be the next thing, probably, Ray? Um, There hasn't been too much coverage of this, rather surprisingly, probably because um, a lot of these journalists have got uh, a lot on their plate. But sneaked in among all of this Arteta and Pep stuff was the UEFA decision to postpone their verdict on the Manchester City FFP case until January. It had been expected in December. It's not going to happen in December. Perhaps we should be thankful for that. This is something that uh, we talked about in an earlier pod where a lot of the um, the in-the-know journalists had reassured us that there's going to be no ban. Nonetheless, I've got a funny feeling, Ray, that this story that um, didn't really get much coverage is, is going to be the thing that they'll focus on. That's my little crystal ball attempt there. What do you think about that one, Ray? Look, look at a few things that they've tried to focus on. They come across as in the know. Let, let's start off with the FIFA, the proposed FIFA ban. And a year ago, it was going to happen. We were going to be banned by FIFA for problems with the bringing in um, kids, 16-year-old kids from outside the EU or whatever it was. It was going to happen, and uh, someone's led with the story. Two and seasons. It, sorry? Two season ban. Two season ban. It was, a, a yeah. Two, two transfer window ban, okay? Yeah. And Sorry. someone led with it, and everybody else piled in. They have to copy because they don't want to be left behind. So they had no information. They just Someone had started the rumour, everybody else piled in. What happened? Nothing happened. So they were wrong. Then they talk about the UEFA. We had our good friend, uh, was it Tarek uh, Panja from the New York Times? He said City are going to get a U- uh, Champions League ban. He was so adamant. He he knew it. He'd got his source, you know. I still don't know if it was Daddy's or HP or Heinz, but he'd got his no, no. source. Tarek okay. Panja, imagine a ventriloquist dummy with David Gill's hand up his back, and that is back Tarek that. Panja. You never see Panja talking when David Gill's drinking a glass of water. That's all I'll say. But all, all I'll say is I don't think the hand will be up his back. It'll be up his backside. <laughs> <laughs> no, his head's up his backside, but yeah. They're all adamant about it. And then suddenly uh, we're going to get a ban to, or we're going to find out in December that we're not going to get a ban. And then now it's been delayed. Did the Athletics say why it's been delayed? Because if they've got their sources, uh, then maybe they know why it's been delayed. I, I can't say on air what I, I said off air. But I just think they're hissing in the wind. They just throw a lot of muck out there and want something to stick. And then they'll turn around and say, hey, 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 we told you so. So you've heard stories that Rodolfo Borrell is going to go to uh, Arsenal with uh, Arteta. Well, Pep said he's going to stay with me. He'll be my assistant. Pep said that today in the press conference. But you still had you know, the newspapers and, and the journalists and whatever coming out with that he's going to go shooting left, right and centre and just hoping something hits. You know, the story about Pep being fractious, well, there's another word beginning with F that I I, I <laughs> hate to the journalists, you know, because they're just making stuff up. They just, try, as Colin said, they're trying to find a narrative. And then if two or three of them go down this route, everybody joins in. Everybody joins in. And it's just there to, to an, uh, annoy Pep. It's just there to, to, it's there to make him fractious. And you can see in some of these press conferences, people are asking him dumb questions. And I think that's frustrating for to, time and time again, same bunch of journalists asking him daft questions and sometimes asking him dis, disgraceful questions. So they're just looking for things to throw at us. Look, bottom line is not many of these journalists, if any, are City fans. They don't like the fact that whoever their club is, you know, whether it's Man United, whether it's Chelsea, whether it's uh, Spurs, Liverpool, Arsenal, whatever, they've been dominated this decade by Man City. Now, when you look at the team, the team of the decade, you'd have five or six City players there. I think Alan Shearer had five City players, five Chelsea players, and he threw in uh, the fat, fat boy Wayne Rooney uh, to make up the eleven. And 
because let's be honest, City and uh, Chelsea have dominated the Premier League this decade. So you know these journalists have got their own personal affiliations and their personal team have been dominated by City. They don't like it. We're the newcomers, we're the upstarts. It's been going on ever since Shea Mansour bought Man City. You know, they've always been digs, whether they're oil money dig, which I think now we can quite comfortably say that's a racist dig. It's, it's gone from just to talk about oil money. It's the way it's done now. It's insidious. It is racist. It, it, it's gone. I think it's gone over the line. In the early days, you're not sure, but now it, it is. It's, it's targeted. So they're just looking at ways to have a pop at City. Destabilised Pep. He's not one for being destabilised by journalists. I don't think he could care less. You know, if, if he ends up being unhappy for whatever reason and he wants to leave, he'll, as Colin says, he'll do that. But my feeling, hopefully, is the fact that his family situation is a little bit better than it was will help him. You know, the fact that his wife and the youngest daughter weren't that happy in Manchester because they were here full time. But they're splitting their time, which I think is good for Pep. They're splitting their time three or four days in Barcelona, three or four days in Manchester, the rest of the week in Manchester. And that's actually good because Pep's got something to look forward to. He's got his family to look forward to, to seeing them come back. His other kids, they're old enough. They can do what they want. They're not bored. I think they're students and they go to games and do whatever. They've got their own lives. But the youngest daughter and his missus, I think it's better, this arrangement. So I, I actually think that's going to help him go forwards. And it'll be a better, I think with a better family life, he'll be more calm within himself and I don't think he's bothered about these journalists per se he's just I think he's just annoyed where they're asking these inane daft questions from supposedly experts asking stupid stuff can I pick up a couple of things on the journalist side I want to talk about UEFA FFP because I'm, I'm I've got some in the know inside information on this a couple of stories interesting things in the press this week one was Martin Lipton byline in the sun against a story about we may suffer punishment for the, the Jaden Sancho signing. <laughs> yes. Did you see that story? Yes, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that's very bizarre. Done and dusted that one. And I checked the sun. And on November the 1st, Lipton had penned a story saying we've been cleared by the FA. And again, I checked a little bit further back. And that virtually, that same story, word for word, had been published in February on, on, on the Sun's website. That, that sort of thing annoyed me. So I tweeted Lipton and said, what the hell? Why is the story with your byline about Jaden Sancho's transfers being illegal when there was a story six weeks ago under your byline saying we've been cleared? And he came up, instead of saying, oh, yeah, it seemed yeah. to be a bit of a cock-up, he came out with some bluster about why it was a story. And everyone just started laughing at him on Twitter. And I said to him, look, Martin, it's a story that you first published in February. You know that we've been cleared. The correct answer is someone effed up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was so bizarre. And City should have been all over that, to be honest. The story was still up there a couple of days later. I don't know if it's gone gone now. So that was very bizarre. Why would someone decide to put that story up when it's six weeks out of date? And, and it's nearly about 10 months old. And the other interesting one, what you were talking about, about the oil money. I don't know if anyone saw Charlton. There's a takeover in progress at Charlton. Yeah. And that involves an Abu Dhabi member of the Al Nahyan family, if I pronounced it correctly. Probably a cousin, not a brother, but a cousin of Sheikh Mansour, it would appear, is, is one of the people involved in this. Now, it's a huge family. There are many, many sons and daughters, and each of those had many multiple wives, many sons and daughters. So, you know, there could well be hundreds of members of Sheikh Mansour's family, you know, to second, third cousins, uh, maybe a thousand. It was an interesting story in itself, and it certainly raised a few eyebrows, possibly among City fans. But there was a story somewhere that the taker was being investigated by the EFL because it's someone from Abu Dhabi. And, and was it a case of that we would have multiple clubs? And at first, you just laugh at a story like that because it's like saying, you know, are all the American-owned clubs should be investigated? Because, well, they're all owned by Americans. You know, so, so Arsenal, Liverpool and United, let's investigate them because, hey, some Americans own them and, and they all come from America. So it's a bit laughable. But then you think about it, and perhaps I'm being a bit paranoid here. Is there a bit of a subtext about these sneaky Arabs who, who you know, go behind your back and, you know, up, up to no good? And, and you think, you know, is there, a, is there a subtle subtext here of these sneaky foreigners you know, trying to sneak something through. So, so that one, that one kind of got me a little bit. But to go back to the UEFA thing, which is where we started this from, I was at a City Matters meeting last night, and it was a kind of, we normally have a formal meeting, which we take minutes. This was very much a, an off-the-record informal meeting, a chance to have a, 
uh, a few drinks before Christmas and um, kind of review where we were. It was a very interesting meeting. And, and we covered topics probably we wouldn't normally cover in a City Matters meeting. Uh, and one of those was obviously the, the financial fair play situation. I'd heard a story, and this is not from a, a source at City themselves, but someone I believe is is reasonably well connected, that uh, when Alexander Seferin's been at our last two European games, of course, he was at the Etihad for the Shakhtar game, then he was in Zagreb for that game. And the story was he was desperately trying to get us to do a deal on this and accept a, a fine for a technical offence or something. Uh, and we just basically said no. What Omar Barada, who's the city chief operating officer, so he's in the eye of this storm. I don't want to say everything he said, but he basically gave us a bit of a picture of what's happening. He said that there are five specific charges that have been laid against or five specific incidents w- which were passed to the adjudicatory chamber. And he said, on all those five incidents, we have a convincing response to why UEFA is wrong. He said, but we're never allowed to put that to the investigatory chamber. And and I've been through this before, that there was a five-year statute of limitations. To get a ban, and and no reason to doubt that they recommended a ban, but to get that approved by the adjudicatory chamber, they had to do it within five years of the original 2014 sanctions. So what he was saying was, we have not had a chance to answer the case which has been made against us. So if you can imagine going into a courtroom and, and the prosecution makes its case, and the judge says, well, well uh, right, you know, I'm going to pronounce sentence. And your defence hasn't had a chance to put their side of the argument. It's that sort of situation. So City don't even appear to be sure where they stand with this, but they're hoping that they will get a chance to put their side of the case and present the evidence that they claim was never heard in the first place. He seemed very confident that the evidence we could present would completely clear us. And that the reason we went to the court for arbitration in sport was because we felt we hadn't had a chance to put our side of the story. So that's a very interesting one. And I've written about this in King of the Kipaks and said, I think there's two things going on here. There's a little cabal at UEFA. I think we can imagine who that might consist of, who want us punished. I think that, that Seferin and some of the UEFA executive didn't want to bring this case up in the first place, that they felt all related to the same period. There's nothing, again, I made the point before, there has nothing, nothing has significantly or materially, materially changed from that period. We, you know, we failed FFP. Perhaps we would have failed it a bit more. Uh, everything that was known now was known then, but nothing's material, materially changed. And I think UEFA would like this to go away, but, but they're getting pressure from two sides. They're getting pressure from Whoever is feeding them a line, and I think uh, Omar did mention, did allude to that, uh, and they're getting pressure from us. Uh, and we, we, we're saying we've presented convincing evidence as to why we're not guilty on any of these charges. So I think UEFA are desperately trying to weigh out, which involves perhaps us accepting a technical, we, we, a technical accounting breach or something like that. And then the whole thing, finally, we accept a little bit of a fine and then the whole thing goes away. But the message coming out from City, and I've heard it firsthand, is that is not going to happen. There are going to be no deals. We did a deal last time. We took a pinch. That was probably, you know, it may not have been our favourite option, but it's probably the best option in the circumstances. And it's not going to happen again. So you can take it from me, from the horse's mouth, that if UEFA want to go down the path of punishing us, it will get challenged very robustly. Well, guys, um, just before we um, move on and, and finish off the pod by talking about upcoming games, one story that I thought was quite amusing was a story that I think appeared, first of all, in the Daily Mail and then got repeated and reworded and, and placed elsewhere. And that was that regarding Pep's future, Pep was demanding, demanding a revamp as a condition of his continued employ at Manchester City, and that he wanted at least three, possibly more, uh, players in the summer, and that his decision to continue was contingent upon a considerable revamp. But it's quite interesting because City fans already know that David Silva's going. We already know that Angelino hasn't worked out and they will be in the market for a left-back. We already know, as if we you know, hadn't had it drummed into us, that we're in need of a centre-back, and there's a huge doubt about the future of Leroy Sané. So there are at least four uh, players that would need replacing. Uh, and so, you know, we've got to start thinking about Aguero as well. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I'm not, not, not particularly interested in whether people think that Pep has insisted on this. No one can know that, and he's probably not the kind of uh, guy to do that with his best, best mate uh, Cheeky laying down any ultimatums. But um, we always want to say a little bit of something about 
about signings because that's what City fans are interested in. But would you agree with my assessment that David Silva doesn't particularly need replacing because you've got Phil Foden and he is the promised heir? because Pep said that. I think the other situations are a little bit more interesting. It looks like Leroy's going to go. The bookies' money is on Jaden Sancho being lured back to replace uh, Leroy Sané. I would be interested to know what you think about that. I wonder who this centre-back is going to be. I'd love to know who you guys would think would be the replacement for Angelino. Let go, let's go to Ray for some of those. First of all, uh, on on the was it the Daily Mail story that Pep's demanding these three or four signings, otherwise he'll uh, he'll leave. I think that's absolute balderdash. Okay, kept it clean for you, Mike. Absolute balderdash. We all know, like you said, we are going to be revamping the squad. It was going to happen, okay? Like you said, David Silva's going. Fernandinho will be he's 34. I suspect he'll get another season, uh, Fernandinho, another 12-month contract because he's still playing at a very high level. I think Otamendi will go. He knew his place in the pecking order. If company stayed, Otamendi goes. He only saw company left, Otamendi stayed. But Otamendi will find out, especially if City get a new centre-back, well, he's already found out that Fernandinho's um, higher in the pecking order than Otamendi. So, you know, what's going to happen when Laporte comes back? Is Otamendi going to be back to number four? You know, Fernandinho will be number two, Stones three, Otamendi four, loss of game time. He's 31 years old, he'll be 32. He'll want to leave. So I think Otamendi's going as well. And I also expect uh, to see uh, Eric Garcia pushing uh, Otamendi uh, out of the way uh, next season. So I think he's a goner. Leroy Sane looks like he's going. There's three for you straight away. And obviously, we're going to lose uh, Bravo as well. So that opens up spaces. Who do, who's going to fill them? I don't know. I think we will get another attacking midfielder. I think we will. But somebody, hopefully, between the ages of 22 and 24. I don't think that will hurt uh, Phil Foden too much. And it all depends who that attacking midfielder is. It was going to happen anyway. It was not. We're not going to stay static. And I think that's a mistake that we probably realise we've made. Um, over the last couple of summers. Not this summer gone, the one before. We only got Riyad Mahrez after we got 100 points. Last summer, we got players, but if you look at them, you think to yourself, how many were automatic, guaranteed first-team starters? And if, if Fernandinho was still playing, I would have said none of them. And I think you have to get players in who are good enough to start in the first team to push other players out and, and that that mixes the team up a bit. It gives some new motivations for some players. If you want to get back in the team, you're going to have to up your game. And I think you change things around. You've got to do that. And I don't think we've done that for the last two summers. So next summer, we need, I believe, at least two players who automatically walk into that first team. That rejuvenates the squad a little bit. And as Foden comes through as well, that helps to rejuvenate the squad. But to say, to say Pep's demanding it, we're all expecting it anyway to happen. And it's just a, another one of these little spins on it uh, that they've done in the newspapers. An, an extra little bit of drama to get a few clicks and bites. There might as well be a, a AFTV or something like that who have a little bit of drama, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of uh, anger, push a story, give it an extra narrative that it that just wasn't there. Um, and, and I think that's this story. It has no extra narrative. Uh, we were going to do it anyway, so why why uh, make something out of nothing? Let's pass the ball to Colin Savage and ask Colin Savage, does Angelino need replacing so that we have to get a left-back? And do you uh, would you be looking to bring in a one-centre-back or two? Uh, I'd like to rephrase the Angelino question because uh, I think a lot depends on Mendy. If Mendy can, can start to capture the sort of form we, we know he's capable of, then for me, Angelino's an adequate backup. And we've always got Zinchenko there. Attacking midfielder, actually, Ray talked about. I'd like to see Zinchenko given a chance. That's his position. That's what he plays for for Ukraine. Let's see him there. In terms of centre-backs, yeah, that's a tough one. I th- then, I think, in the same way that whether we get another left-back depends on Mendy, because if Mendy doesn't step up, then uh, we, we go for a left-back. I don't think we replace Angelino, but I think who we bring in has got to be a first-team quality. Where you get a first-team quality for left-back from, I do not know. But in terms of centre-backs, again, the same principle, I think, applies to John Stones. I'm less confident about Stones stepping up in the in the second half of the season. But again, if he can find the, find the sort of form that we 
you know, we expected from him. But there's a chance. With Mendy, I think he's very rusty because he's recovered, recovering from so many injuries. I think with Stones, the, the thing that worries me more is it's an attitude problem. And he's one of those players who just hasn't got that extra, you know, what is it, 5% mentality to step up to the absolutely elite level. Where we know he's got, and then we mentioned Mario Balotelli in that respect, and one or two others who just haven't got that little bit extra. They've got all the talent, just haven't got quite got the mental ability to go with it. And this kind of reflects, doesn't it, what we were talking about earlier in the podcast about Real Madrid and going into that game. You've got to have players, you've got to have 11 players who go into the game with the right attitude, both as individuals and as a team. And, and Stones worries me in that respect. So. If you look at our centre-back pair, we've really only got Laporte. So, yeah, I can still see us bringing two centre-backs in. But one are very experienced. So you're looking at the Koulibaly, uh, Umtiti-type centre-back. There's another one we were... Ruben Diaz, maybe, was the that, other one. That maybe, yeah. I don't don't think that was the name I was mentioning. But but, but maybe you get a younger one, a 22. So, you, you know, you get a 26, 27-year-old, maybe even a bit older, who, who is, has got that bit of experience because that's what we lost with company. And to give Otamendi's credit, he's got that experience as well. But you want one in there as first choice every week. And I think one of the, one of the things about great teams is they have a first-choice centre-back pairing every week. Now, they can't, you can't always play that pairing, but you know what your first-choice centre-back pairing is. At the moment, we, we, we thought that was going to be Laporte and Stones. If it's not going to be Stones, then it's going to be Laporte and A and other. And A and other isn't at the club at the moment. I mean, Gar- Garcia and Harwood Bellis, absolutely brilliant. Give them, what, three years, four years, and they should be ready to be the centre-back pairing. So we, we've got to find someone who can get us through that three, four years. So if that's a 20, I know it normally outside our, our normal parameters for buying. If that's a 28, 29-year-old, maybe even a bit older, then that's fine by me. Don't want Fernandinho playing there particularly. Colin, would you be happy to have uh, Jaden Sancho replace Leroy? Um, not happening, is it? No, no, he left because of his attitude, and his attitude doesn't seem to be that great at, at, at Dortmund, does it? So, you know, it's his attitude, so again, it's about the mentality and attitude, isn't it? And if you're looking for 11 players who are prepared to pull together as a team and have a winning attitude, no, I don't think Jaden Sancho falls into that category. I'd be very surprised if he did anyway. Oh, well, guys, it'll just have to be Isco then, finally. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, anyway, guys, let's uh, move swiftly on. Now, as I mentioned before, the death bell has already been rung by Sam Lee on the game against Leicester. We are absolutely going to lose. Sam argues that Leicester, and I, I, I'm paraphrasing here, but pretty accurately, Sam says that Leicester, their, their skill set is perfectly equipped to probe City's weaknesses. And he cannot see, this is quite interesting because he normally doesn't do this, but he says in his analysis that um, Manchester City, even though it's a home game, they have very little chance of uh, coming away with three points from this game. Ray, what do you think on that very pessimistic outlook? Very little chance. Oh, wow. Um, Yep, yep, that's pretty much what he said. Well, I'll tell you what, that's a United fan in him talking. You know, just because they've done us over, uh, he's got all uh, a a little bit uh, too big for his boots, I think, you know, a little bit too excited. We are still, even though we've had our ups and downs and we're not firing on all cylinders and we've got problems here and there, we're still a decent side. We've still got cracking players. Uh, We've still got KDB who, who can make something out of nothing we still got Raheem, who on his day is still one of the, you know, he certainly is well in the top 10 in the world. We still got quality players throughout that that side. You know, there are two teams playing tomorrow. It's not just Leicester City, it's Man City as well. And, you know, it, it could simply be that we could start like a house on fire, get two early goals, and that's the game finished. Look, the game is set up for Leicester. I don't have any doubts about that. The way they've generally played over the last few seasons has been on the counter-attack, even though I think since Brendan Rodgers has arrived, they've relied less upon the counter-attack, I think. They've got more quality in midfield uh, that they can go through, but still they look to hit Vardy early because he's a danger. He's, what, 32 years old. He doesn't look like he's slowing down. Maybe not playing for England is, uh, you know, helping him because he wasn't playing for England. He was just training with England and he wasn't getting much out of it. But I don't make less with the favourites, you know. At best, look, they are above us in the league. So there's no question about that. I'd say uh, I'll still slightly favour City. 
because if we play, if both teams play to their best potential, Man City will win nine times out of ten. If you think back to last season, Leicester gave us a hell of a game in that penultimate match. And you'd probably say that we were a better... Well, we were full of nerves at that point, were we? I mean, that, that, that running was a very nervous running. And it was a very nervous game that night until uh, Vinny stepped up with that wonder goal. Leicester are better. We're probably quite... Overall, probably not quite as good, but it will be a tough game. And uh, I'm much less confident than I was going into the United game. But that's usually a good sign because City know what they've got to do. Leicester, they've not had uh, spectacular results in the last few games. They drew at home to Norwich. They struggled against Everton. I mean, they were 2 0 up and Everton pulled it back the other night, didn't they? Um, they beat Villa away, but I think most big teams are going to beat Villa. I think they're heading straight back down. 2 0 against Watford at the beginning of December at home. Watford again, we put eight past them. And you've got to assume that Pep will work it out. But yeah, Leicester, there is absolutely no doubt that Leicester are a very good team and they will give us a very, very hard game tomorrow. But I think we. Um, I think we've got something to prove as well. And the irony is, of course, if we win it, it actually makes life much better for Liverpool, doesn't it? It's a bit of a win-win situation because if we win, great for us, and we've caught up three points on Liverpool. If Leicester win, well, they've caught up three points on Liverpool, and I think we've written off the Premier League for the moment, haven't they? But Liverpool's still got to go to Leicester. So it's very intriguing. You know, if we beat Leicester and then Leicester beat Liverpool, we we could catch six points up on, on Liverpool with them still to come to the Etihad. So potentially, you know, that they will have a game in hand, yeah. If you do make up those six points, it puts them under a modicum of a bit of more pressure, pressure yeah. yeah. Which they've not yeah. had basically all season. Uh, there's a chance that Sergio might be back tomorrow. Who knows? It's going to be. I think it's going to be a very, very tough. I think we know it's going to be a very, very tough game. At the moment, my, my, my head says it's going to be a draw, but obviously I want a City win. Guys, that's the the first of two home games um, in the remaining days in December. We've got this game against Leicester. We've also got a game at the end of December against uh, Sheffield United. In between which we have uh, an away game against uh, Wolverhampton. I'm enjoying to hear just some dying embers, even if it's only dying embers of optimism from the lads there regarding concepts such as pulling points back on Liverpool. So many City City fans have uh, have tossed the league, but not everybody, guys. There was a, a guy on Twitter whose name has escaped me. He's been making posts Pretty much like this one. This will be our most spectacular achievement yet. Talking about um, come the end of the season, the the dream of of City having somehow clawed back the, the these points and going into the last game, Liverpool maybe two points ahead, ending up getting a draw on their final game, City winning theirs and taking it on goal difference. I think that would be just the stuff of dreams. Uh, to quote someone famous, there you have it, guys. I think. I, We've covered everything that we wanted to cover in this particular pod, but we will leave it open just for some final points from both of the chaps. If there was anything else you want to mention before we I would sign just, off. I just want to say, when you have a uh, press conference, uh, there is st- this stuff that goes out live and this stuff that's held back, uh, is embargoed until 10.30 so that the newspapers the next day have something to talk about. Otherwise, if it's all been done and dusted, uh, the newspapers are, uh, fr- frankly, irrelevant. Uh, and I, to be honest, I wish they let all the information go out so the newspapers were irrelevant. But since we started the pod past the 10.30 hour, uh, hour and there's something Pep said that I want to, to read to you. I said many times how incredible, what a good time I have here. And I would like to stay as long as possible. So that is my desire. But I will only be sure if it's the best for the club that they want me to stay longer. So, so he's also said, so it'll be five years with one club. He's not saying he's leaving at the end of the season. So it'll be five years with one club in this competition, this league. It has many, many years. So that's why it's important to be sure the decision is perfect for both sides. And the last Mm. thing, that's why there's no rush. It's not finishing in three or four months. The club is working perfectly in all departments. So it's not a problem, honestly. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, he's saying things and it's almost like he's not saying things. But, uh, you know, you do wonder if the Arteta thing might sway in one way or the other. I think it might have even been you, Ray, put something on Twitter or somewhere about why Arteta might be going because he's been told he won't get the City job when Pep goes. Or, oh, or Pep he... says I'm going to sign again. I think Pep, is if he stays for the full term of his contract 
And that's another year and a half. Will this uh, Arsenal job be up again for, for Arteta? Will he get another big opportunity like this? And if Pep's indicating behind the scenes, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tempted to sign a new contract, then Arteta's going to look at it and say, well, if you sign for another year, that's another that's two and a half more years. Will I ever get this opportunity? By the time I get this opportunity, it's, it's like Prince Charles waiting for the Queen to pop her clogs. <laughs> Forgive me if anybody's a, it's a big royalist. I am, I am too. And Arteta could say, well, by the time Pep leaves, I could be in my early 40s. Well, I want I want that opportunity now or sooner than that. And I'm not prepared to wait. And who knows? Pep might just say, I'm going to stay another five years. So who knows when this opportunity will come again? So, you know, for me, anyway, I'm going to I'm going to uh, look at it with it with the glass half full that Pep's desire is to stay longer. Uh, he wants to stay as long as possible. The important thing for me, if I get the context right, so it will be five years with one club in this competition, this league. Okay. Now, at the end of the season, that will be four years. So it, it once again, it's drumming in this point that he's going to honour his contract. And that's the minimum I would like from Pep is for him to honour his contract, get that five years in, do the next churn, because it will be a churn next in the summer, get the next departures and the big um, new players and then do another season with them. There's no point for me, him leaving now, if he's going to be involved in buying and selling, selling, you know, deciding who stays and goes. For three chaps whose early 40s are quite a good way in the in the rearview mirror, <laughs> I think that we'll we'll leave it there and sign off for now. And before we do, we'll just bid adieu to our two regular uh, members of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Let's uh, start off and um, just uh, have a little word of appreciation for Mr. Colin Savage, King of the Kipax writer. And as you've heard from the Pod City Matters Committee member, thank you so much, Colin, for coming on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk everything City with you and Ray. We, we've also, we where would we be, guys, without the man with the fire in his belly? We've got <laughs> Ray. We've got Ray. So I love having Ray on the pod because it really reduces editing time for me. When Ray goes on one, can safely, <laughs> can safely sit back for the next couple of minutes and think, okay, well, don't have to to make. You could have gone to make your cup of tea then, couldn't you? I, well, who's to say I didn't? Who's to say I didn't? You wouldn't know because we're not, <laughs> use, we're, we're not using um, video. Well, on, when on Ray goes point. off on one, you can go off and milk the cow and go to <laughs> Sri Lanka and pick the tea yourself, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Ray, listen, anyway, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, you're very kind. It's, it's been fantastic uh, to talk. Like Colin says, it's, it's always good to talk City, especially when you're talking in generally a positive vein. Okay, guys, we'll leave it there and say, as we always do, have one and us and up those blues. <laughs>